Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, Christ Community Church. Oh, boy. Well, first of all, yes, I got my hair cut. I'll talk about that. I'll stop. I'll talk about that here in a minute. Um, Megan is on the road. Uh, she's in Denver uh, today at a church uh, doing a presentation, and then she turns around and flies out and flies to, to do the Lord's work at Pensacola, Florida for three or four days, and then she had a conference, and then she turns around, goes to Atlanta, and then she'll, she'll be back home. Uh, so I'm puppy-sitting her demon-possessed little, ugh. Like I said, if you want a puppy, just let me know. I'll let you know the time, and somehow one of them or two of them will miraculously escape and make their way to your car. Uh, no charge. Uh, we had an interesting week. It's been a busy week. Um, on uh, Thursday, I guess it was, we went to uh, Louisville. Megan and I did, and we were there till late Friday night. We were recording the Senior Pastor podcast with uh, Bob Russell and, um, and Ken Eidelman and, and, and Dad in Kyle Eidelman's studio there at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville. And we had a special guest, and one of the reasons I got my hair cut is for that special guest. We had uh, Dr. Albert Moeller, the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, come in and spend some time with us and record uh, a podcast. And so my wife kept asking me, Dr. Moeller's coming in, when are you getting your hair cut? So I went to Jay Sturgill, my barber, and I said, give me the Baptist cut. So I got the Baptist cut for the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And so we, we spoke with Dr. Uh, Moeller for about an hour and a half. If you don't know much about Dr. Moeller, you should. He's really a modern hero of the faith. Uh, Dr. Moeller became the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary back in the early 90s when he was in his early 30s. That's very rare for somebody in their early 30s to be the president of a college and a seminary. But Dr. Moeller became the president, and here's the first thing he did. He fired everybody. And he fired everybody because Southern Seminary at that time had drifted away from the Bible. He had a lot of professors who did not believe that Scripture was God's inerrant word. And so he fired all of them and started over again. One of my favorite stories was that he was in chapel one day after he announced the changes that were coming to Southern Seminary. And he had a professor walk up to him, a professor of Bible, walk up to him and say, you can't fire me, I have a contract. To which Dr. Moeller replied, if you read the Bible as closely as you read your contract, we wouldn't have a problem. And he was gone. And CNN was flying helicopters over his house, and it was nonstop. He was getting criticism left and right. People were on all the major networks saying that this was the end of Southern Seminary. He was ruining it. You know, he's just bringing in all these fundamentalist conservatives, and it's, he's going to destroy Southern Seminary. 30 years later, Southern Seminary is the biggest seminary in the world. Should tell you something, right? 
when he hired professors that actually believed the Bible, he was busting at the seams. He reluctantly agreed to online learning when they couldn't house all the people who were applying. And so Dr. Moeller's written many books, all of them which you should read. Uh, Dr. Moeller has a podcast every day, Monday through Friday, called The Briefing, uh, which you should listen to. It's about a 25-minute podcast. It's not long. It is the news from a Christian worldview, which he does every morning at the crack of dawn. And Dr. Moeller is just a, just a godly, godly man. And he left about 1.30, and, and we went on to record another couple of episodes. And then we got, we were almost home. My wife insisted on fine dining, Cracker Barrel. And now uh, that's when you know you're in a small town. It's like, yeah, Cracker Barrel. It's good, but come on. I mean, you get excited about Cracker Barrel. You live in a small town. Um, and so we, were st- we stopped at Cracker Barrel in Moorhead, and, and we got a message that Dr. Moeller had been hospitalized for blood clots in his lungs. That's very serious. And so uh, please be praying for Dr. Moeller. Uh, he, we need more of him. Uh, we need his tribe to increase. And so... Uh, just be praying, you know, for the man. He has that rare combination of someone who is highly intelligent, very widely read. In fact, I read somewhere one of Dr. Moeller's assistants clocked in one year that he read 250 books in a year. Um, and he's also all at the same time very gracious, soft-spoken, and yet has a spine of steel. And that's unfortunately rare in Christianity. So please be praying for Dr. Muller. All right. Well, let's talk about David. Now, uh, when we left off, when Dad was talking about God's covenant with David, we saw, we see David from a boy to a man, from a shepherd to a warrior to a leader. And as I said before, and this is, in, this is really important for you to drill down on this before we get to this, because we're going to get to David's failings here in a minute. David was not sinless. But the reason why the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart is he had a zealousness, a drive for God's glory, for God to be honored and God alone. No, David's wife got mad at him because he was dancing in his underwear in front of the Ark of the Covenant when they brought the Ark into Jerusalem. And his wife said, why would you make a fool of yourself like that? Dancing around in your boxer shorts in front of the entire nation that you're supposed to lead? And David's response is, basically, to paraphrase, he said, I'll humiliate myself every day and twice on Sunday if it brings God glory. He's passionate for God. And for God, God only to be worshipped. But that doesn't mean he was perfect. Only one man who's ever walked the earth has been perfect. So, we get to 2 Samuel 12. 2 Samuel 12. 
In 2 Samuel 11, I'll just summarize it. In 2 Samuel 11, David now is of an age that his generals and his soldiers have come to him and say, you shouldn't lead us anymore into battle. You're getting older. You've lost a step. And you shouldn't do it anymore. And those of us who are old enough can sympathize with that. And we've seen that. I'm a sports fanatic. I love, I love it all. I'll watch almost any sports. I'm not sold on pickleball yet. And do you know that there are now professional pickleball teams? LeBron James bought a pickleball team? Okay. But I even watch golf. Took me a long time to get there, but one of the saddest things I remember as a teenager was seeing Muhammad Ali fight in the 1980s when it was clear he just didn't have it anymore. He just didn't. When he fought Larry Holmes and Trevor Burbick and so forth, it was sad to watch. It was just sad to watch. And so David has reached that age where he's just being told, you, you're not the warrior you were. You can't lead the charge anymore. You're going to get hurt, and we need you. So his army is off fighting, and he is at home in his palace. And he's walking one night, and he looks out, and he sees a woman bathing. Now, that was not uncommon in that day and age. Uh, you didn't have bathtubs back then in your house because what would you do? You, they would flood easy. You'd put it on the roof and you take your bath or you put it outside and you take your bath and you just turn it over and dump the water out. That's the easiest way to deal with it. So Bathsheba is a beautiful woman and she's bathing. And David looks at her and goes, whoa. And so he commands her to come to him, and he takes her. He doesn't romance her. He's, it's a barbaric age. He's the king. He didn't put on Barry White and pour some wine. He just said, I want you, and she said, yes, my king, and that was it. Problem is, she gets pregnant, and she's married, and her husband is off fighting for David. So David thinks that he can fix this. And the way he thinks he can fix this is this. He says, okay, her husband, Uriah, bring him back, and I'll have him spend the night with her, and then it's his baby, not mine. But Uriah refuses to sleep with his wife. Uriah says, as long as soldiers are on the move, I won't do that. I won't do that. He had a band of brothers mentality. He was not going to do it. So now David's in a real pickle. So what he says to his generals is, put Uriah up front at the very front of the battle. Now, back then, military um, strategy was not what it is today. They basically just charged at each other in groups, and if you were in the first group, you were most likely to die. So, Uriah is killed. And David thinks he's got away with it. 
Now, David is the prince of Israel. Not the king. You'll see in a second. He's the prince. That's how he saw himself, too. But the prince wasn't the only one with authority in Israel. There was a prophet. Now, again, you need to understand this. A prophet is not somebody whose eyes roll back in their head and they see the future and they walk around and they tell people the future and all that kind of stuff. That's not what a prophet is. Ninety-some percent of the writings in the prophets are stuff that was happening right then and there, not the future. The prophet was basically a press secretary for God. God would say, you, I want you to speak for me. Go tell my people this. And that's what a prophet did. And there's a prophet named Nathan. And that's where we pick up the story. God tells Nathan to go see David and tell him this, and this is what happens. 2 Samuel 12, 1. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned, owed nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. Okay, it's kind of gross, but you get it. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. You see what he's saying? You're the prince of Israel. You have a palace. You have an army. You have wealth. Uriah, who was loyalty, what did he have? He had a beautiful wife and nothing else. And you took that from him. You are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you prince of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you, notice this, despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. And then David says this. And this is interesting. David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord and the Lord only. 
Hmm. Now, there are several things to be gleaned from that. The first of which is you can't hide anything from God. Adam and Eve tried. Cain tried. Doesn't work. Whatever you do, whatever you say, whatever you think, God knows. You can't hide it. That's one. But two, notice this wording here in verse 13. David confessed to Nathan, and in Hebrew it says, I have sinned against you, Lord, and you, Lord, only. Now, you can look at that, and you can say, well, that's a bunch of bunk. David sinned against his wives, sinned against his family, sinned against the nation of Israel, certainly sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah. You can make an argument there's hardly anybody David didn't sin against. So why does he say, against you, Lord, only have I sinned? Now, you can look at that and you can say, well, David was mistaken. That's David speaking. He's a human being. Human beings say stupid things in the Bible. I was talking about this in a small group. One of my favorite verses. Poor the disciple Peter, bless his heart, he just said some of the stupidest things. He's got that line after, you know, he sees Jesus transfigured. And in the old King James, it reads, Peter did not know what to say, so he said. That's the King James way of saying he just should have shut up. If you don't know what to say, don't open your mouth. So, yeah, people say stupid things in the Bible, but, that, but this is repeated in the Psalms. And you have to think about the Psalms very carefully. We read through the Psalms. Some of you do the Billy Graham thing. You read through the Psalms every morning and all kinds of stuff. This is fine. That's great. But the interesting thing about the Psalms is God inspired men to write the Psalms to sing those back to God. The Psalms were hymns. They were worship songs given to Israel to worship God. God inspired the writers of the Psalms to sing them back to God. So if it's repeated again in the Psalms, that means God said it, which means it's not wrong. So what do we do with that? Here's what we do with that. Sin is always first and foremost against God. Always. Always. Because God is. I don't care who you're married to. I don't care how many kids you got. I don't care how much family you got. I don't care how close your friends are. God is your primary relationship. He created you. According to Hebrews, you stay alive every second because he wills it, and he will judge you. So anytime you sin, it is first and foremost against God. He is your most important and first relationship. Before, you know, Andrew 
stood up here, and they've been trying to get pregnant for a long time, and I'm glad they are and all that kind of stuff, but that little boy in Rachel's womb, God knew before she did. And according to Scripture, God formed him in that womb. It's always first and foremost about God. So David is not wrong when he says, against you and you only have I sinned. I get it. Look, you know, I'm happily married. I, love, I adore my wife. I miss her when she's gone. I don't sleep well when she's gone. And she's going to be gone for 10 days. So I'm going to be tired and grumpy. More so than usual. And, but let's say I walked out of a store some guy walks up to me and he says, hey, hey, Matt, back at my place, I've got whiskey, I've got women, I've got meth. And for some stupid reason, I go, Omega's not back for 10 days. Okay. And I go, and like David, I think everything's going to be okay. But then one of those girls tags me on Facebook. Kind of hide, hard to hide that. I, I don't know how well you know my wife. If I did make that mistake, I will tell you this. Search hard for my body. Um... Uh, so, I'm going to get fired. My wife's going to kill me. But, according to Scripture, the first sin I committed was not against her or against you. It was against God. It's always first and foremost about God. And the reason you need to know that is this. We do not take anywhere in any church, as far as I can see, we do not take sin as seriously as we should. We see it as screwing up. We see it as breaking a rule. We see it as being naughty maybe being dumb, being selfish. No. Uh-uh. It's worse than that. Not only have we committed treason and rebellion and spit in the face of God, we have spit in the face of the one who we owe our very existence to. And if you have faith in Jesus Christ, our very eternity too. We have committed the exact same sin Adam and Eve did. Satan comes along and tells Adam and Eve, says, you know, says, hey, 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 would you like to be like God? They're like, oh, sounds like a pretty good gig. And we do the same thing. Anytime we sin, we are saying to our Lord, you don't know what's best for me. I do. 
I will be my own God. And where does that get us? Right? My wife sometimes will get sucked down a rabbit hole, especially early in the morning before she's finished her first cup of coffee, on reels and YouTube videos. And, and, and I think that maybe a third of all those videos are somebody doing something really stupid. Right? Somebody trying to hammer in a screw. You know, something dumb. And we watch that, and we laugh, and we think, ah, that person's just a moron. But when we go against God's word, we are, to put it simply, acting like morons. God's way is perfect. Ours is not. So when we reject God's way and we try to go our way, things fall apart. They fall apart. And it's tough. It's, it's, it's difficult. And I, you know, I get this every time I do a study on this. And I've, I've taught these texts. I've taught 2 Samuel 12 probably 20 times in my ministry. And whenever I do it in a small group or a Sunday school or whatever, it's always divided. The guys are like, Oh, yeah, David messed up, but you got to cut him some slack. And the girls are like, no, we don't. I get it. All right. Um, Ladies, don't pay attention to me for a second. Man, I need to talk to you. Uh, This is the way it is. And if you want to stay out of trouble, this is something you need to recognize. All men, in their sinful state, left to their own sinful devices, are not, by nature, monogamous. They are not. Okay. Men, tune me out for a second. Women, I need to talk to you for a second. Generally speaking, I know there are exceptions. I know there are exceptions. I've counseled couples where this has been an exception. Generally speaking, women want security. They want security. They want their partner to be faithful and only want them. Now, the problem with that is Have you ever thought about what a man is? They are walking testosterone. So here's the struggle we have. You have women who by nature want to be loved. They want to be loved alone. They want to be secure in that love. And men at their worst moments, and those are many, if they see, I don't care if they're 70, 80, whatever, they see a hot woman, they go, ah! Because that's what a man is. 
The only answer to that, to bridge that divide, is not going to be some power ballad prom song. It's not going to be for one of you to lose a lot of weight. It's not going to be for you two to find some kind of shared hobby, that that's a good idea. I remember counseling a couple once. They don't go to this church, so I can tell this story. This was many years ago. This couple, whew, and they were both good-looking and young. And uh, they were fighting like cats and dogs. And to the point where it was getting violent, and I was getting worried. And so I gave them a lot of advice, and one, one piece of advice I gave them was, you guys have nothing in common other than when you were 22, you thought each other was hot, and you didn't want anybody else to have the other, so you got married, and you had good sex, but you never talk, and you don't have anything in common. Why don't you go find something you can do together where you can spend some time together and talk about it and so forth. Start there. They said, okay. They had puzzled looks on their faces. They come back in two weeks, and the guy comes up to me and says, we found a hobby we're doing together. I said, what? He said, we go to the shooting range. And I remember thinking, okay, you're almost coming to violence now, and your answer is to arm each other. That's like saying, I want to commit suicide, but I want it to be a surprise. It's just stupid. I was thinking more like, you know, golf. You know, I don't know. But I, I go through this with, with men and women, and and yes, there are practical things you can do and all that kind of stuff. My wife and I both like to watch old movies, and she's gotten into golf, so I've gotten into golf. I still stink at it, but whatever. But the only thing that's really going to bridge that divide is not the hobbies. It's not that you think each other are the hottest things on the planet, because at some point that will stop. My wife still denies this. She needs to repent. We were sitting, I told my small group this last week, we were sitting and watching uh, some morning show, I don't know, Good Morning America, Today, whatever it was that we had on the TV, and they had Clint Eastwood's son, Scott, on to be interviewed. If you haven't seen Scott Eastwood, he is a carbon copy of his dad. Six foot four, blonde hair, blue eyed, and Megan had never seen him before, and she didn't think that I could hear her. And he came on the screen, and Megan went, whoa. And I went, excuse me? Do you know that was out loud? And she goes, oh, I just meant how much he looked like his dad. I said, you liar. The only thing that's going to bridge that divide because that all is based in sinfulness. I'm not saying in any way, shape, or form that because men are dogs by nature that that's where they should stay or where they should go. And I'm not saying that. I'm not saying any of that. 
I am saying that the only thing that helps with that, that bridges that divide, is a faith in Jesus Christ. He has a devotion to God even above David's, and David's was zealous. That's it. That is it. If your, love, if your knowledge of the gospel goes so deep into your soul and you realize, you look at that cross and you realize Jesus died on that cross for you, that God himself shed his blood for you, and you realize that that God who loves you so much that he had you in mind to create you from before the beginning of the universe, that you exist moment to moment because he wants you to exist, which means you have some purpose. And that he loves you perfectly, more perfectly than anyone ever will. Your parents, your spouse, any, your kids, grandkids, God loves you more perfectly. How do you know that? Because he died for you. And it's only when that seeps into your soul that you can look at another situation, another potential partner, or whatever, and say, no, thank you. It's only when you go to the foot of the cross that you can overcome those base, sinful desires. That's it. It's the way it works. And you need to recognize it in yourself, and you need to see how serious sin is. Sin is so serious that it required the Son of God to go to the cross to pay for it. Every sin. Every sin. Take it that seriously. And any time you're tempted, where do you go? You go back to the cross of Jesus Christ. Or you'll fail, just like David did. And as important as this is for you to understand, it's just as important that your kids and grandkids understand this. What sin is, how holy God is, what sin costs. Because I look at the culture that we're in, and I see a culture that does not take sin seriously at all. I was, uh, I guess it was a few weeks ago, I was flipping through the news, and they went to Stanford Law School. I don't know how many of you have seen this video. Stanford Law School, by the way, is one of the top ten law schools in the world. It's like... Yale, Harvard, Stanford. It's one of the top law schools anywhere. And they invited a federal judge to come and speak. And so the federal judge comes to speak to law students at Stanford. And he comes in to speak, and they don't let him speak. They start booing him. They start yelling at him. They start shouting at him. And the reason they were so ticked off one of the reasons they were so ticked off was because a man who identified as a female used that 
to sexually assault females. And this transgender person wanted to go to a woman's prison. And the judge said, no. And they said, that's bigotry and hateful. By the way, California did try this once. The first trans person they put, uh, a guy who still had all the, you know what, hardware, identified as a female. They sent him to a female prison. He impregnated five female prisoners. Yeah, that works out so well. This judge said, no, we're not doing that. You're going to a male prison. And they called him a bigot for that and transphobic and all kinds of stuff. And they were screaming at him. And I'm watching this. And I went to law school. I may get to heaven anyway. And I'm watching this and I'm thinking, what are these morons who are screaming going to do when they have to go to court and the other attorney stands up and argues with them and the judge says, yeah, he's right, you're wrong. Because they lose it. They absolutely lost it when this judge disagreed with them. What are they going to do in court? What are they going to do? Start crying and raise their hand and go, Your Honor, that hurts my feelings. Good luck with that. Oh. But it's that, it's that embrace of our own emotions, our own opinion, our own idea of what is right, and not having it challenged, especially by the Word of God, that is ruining our country. Chinese are laughing their tails off at us. While China's taking over the world, we're arguing over who gets to go to what prison. It's just ridiculous. But it's all based on that sinful, I know what's right, I am God. No, you don't. God is God, and God's way is perfect, and mine and your way sucks. And that's just the way it is. And you have to accept that. You have to accept that to grow. You have to accept that to begin to recognize how serious sin is, how holy God is, and how much you need a Savior. If the Prince of Israel needed a Savior, you need a Savior. And you need a way, and you need direction, and you need God's Word. you got to fess up. When you screw up, you got to fess up. I, um, in the years I've been married to Megan, I have learned that when she is what I call tangry, that's tired angry, to not say a word. When she is tired, she is short, and when she is short, I just, I am best off going, I love you. You look beautiful. Can I get you another coffee? Because early on, I decided to tell her, you're being a jerk. You shouldn't talk that way. That's not nice. That's not, 
How do you think that went over? <laughs> yeah, not well. Early on, I, I learned a couple times that if I wanted to sleep in the bed instead of the couch, shut up. I had to learn that I don't know. I can, just because I feel it, I shouldn't say it. And just because I feel it and think it doesn't make it right. And I need to get over myself. We need to get over ourselves. Because if we let that get out of control, we will wreck our lives. One way or the other. And as I said, not just in our relationships with each other, although that will happen. David paid a steep price for his stupidity and his selfishness and his sinfulness. He lost a baby. His own son rebelled against him. His son then was killed. He went to his deathbed regretting what he had done. Don't make the same mistake. Recognize what is in you. Sinfulness is within you. It's like a cancer, and you have to recognize it. You have to acknowledge it. You have to take it before God. You need to repent of it. You need to ask for forgiveness first and foremost from God, but then also from each other. Sin is never an isolated act. Don't get me wrong. Sin affects everyone in your life. You go become an addict. You cheat on your spouse. Whatever it is. You'll hurt them. You'll hurt your family. You'll hurt your friends. You'll hurt everyone. But first and foremost, you've hurt God. And so the first place you have to go to is God. And ask for forgiveness. And ask for his Holy Spirit. Ask for guidance. Study his word. Be committed to a community of Christians who are willing to graciously hold you accountable. To love one another. To quit thinking about ourselves all the time. Get beyond that. This is what we need. It's not just coming to church once a week for an hour and 15 minutes. It's a daily, moment-by-moment commitment to follow God as closely as you humanly can, to pray as much as you can, to give as much as you can, to love as much as you can. Think about yourself as little as you can. And to never, ever, ever assume that what you think and what you feel is right. Unless you first checked it with the Word of God. It's a tall order. I'm not there yet. I'm far away from that. Wednesday, this past Wednesday, my wife was packing to go to Denver. And she always gets a little stressed out before she travels. She doesn't like to travel. I told you last time I preached, she, 
I was getting text message after text message after text message. I'm like, what is going on? My phone's just blowing up. And I looked at my phone, and Megan's like, turbulence. I'm going to die. And I told you I, I, didn't, I didn't say this to her. I did not confront her with this. That the first thing she said when she thought she was going to die from turbulence and airplane was, take care of my puppies. Then, I love you. Tells me where I rank. But she's anxious when she flies, and she's packing, and she's nervous. And we've got this big podcast, and Dr. Moeller's coming in, and she's nervous. Gentlemen, ladies, you can tune out for a second again. Gentlemen, don't ever tell your wife to just calm down. It has the opposite effect. I'm thinking about starting reverse psychology and tell her to ramp it up. Maybe it'll go the other direction. <laughs> no? Okay. So I'm back to my original point. Just shut up. Um, why is it that we have to learn the hard way? That we have to touch the hot stove before we learn? That we have to go into this sin and, and make everyone angry with us and, and everyone around us hurt before we realize that was really selfish and stupid? And that if we just followed God's way, and God's way does not necessarily give you prosperity and riches and all that kind of stuff, but you're not going to injure people you love and you're not going to, first and foremost, offend God. All right. Maybe it's the Baptist haircut, but that's all I got. So let's pray and we'll get out of here. Heavenly Father, we have all sinned against you. We don't take it seriously enough. May we look to the cross and see how serious it is. May we have the zealousness for you even beyond David. Not just that you and you alone be worshipped, but you and you alone be obeyed. And we follow you. Follow you so closely that when others look at us, they see a glimmer of you. May we be joyful. May we be wise. May we be obedient. For your honor and your glory. Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. So I don't know if Megan's watching. Megan, if you're watching, turn it off. Chris, turn off the live stream. Who wants puppies again? Okay. Just let me know. God bless you. God goes with you, Lord willing. I'll see you next time. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.